Good morning. This morning we're reading from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. Jesus then went up onto a mountain and summoned to himself those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed twelve. Simon, to him he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To them Jesus gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder. Also, there was Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Thanks, Kathy, and hello again. I did something different this week. Uh, I don't think I've ever done this before. If I have, I've done it once and I don't even recall. I changed the reading for this morning. Uh, Not different to what Kathy's just read. Don't worry, Kathy, you did the right thing. Thank you. Bless you. Uh, That was the right reading, but I changed it during this week, during preparation. Uh, We were scheduled to be one page ahead in our Mark's Gospel, but during the week as I prepared and read over this passage, I thought this is too important a passage for us not to stop, pause, and examine. You see, if you're an underliner or a highlighter of verses in your Bible, which I suspect many of you are, there are some of those ones that if we were to survey and go, okay, who's got this underlined? Who's got that highlighted? I suspect these would be some of the greatest hits. Uh, things like John 15, 12, which someone already in their head has gone, yeah, that's where Jesus says, you know, the command I give to you is to love one another as I've loved you. That's one of the, you know, that's one of the greatest hits of Jesus, one of the greatest hits of the New Testament. So many of you will probably have that underlined or highlit. Maybe you've got something from Matthew 5, you know, that this is titled the Beatitudes. These are the blesseds. This is the famous blessed are the cheesemakers. If you're into that movie, I'm not, but one of my mentors who's gone to glory was devoted to it, so that's my homage to him. Um, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are That's very popular. You might have that highlight. Maybe something else from the Sermon on the Mount that, that, uh, that this is the opening of is highlight in your Bible. Uh, one that I know is highlit high and underlined and notes next to it in the margin in mine and maybe yours as well is Matthew 28, 19 to 20. These are the words of Jesus where <clears throat> he says to his followers, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything I've commanded you. And truly I'm with you to the end of the age. Um, this is a really important one. This is Jesus standing on a mountaintop and giving a commandment. Now, don't be confused. Sometimes we make mistakes with this one. People say, that's the last thing Jesus ever said. Not quite right. Uh, Matthew doesn't record the last words of Jesus. Luke does. Different mountain, different place, different day. Uh, But it is what Jesus says following the statement, all authority has been given to me. So if you ever thought the Ten Commandments delivered by Moses on the Mount of Sinai was important, then perhaps the commissioning of Jesus, who says, all authority, I'm supreme to Moses, and says, make disciples, is just as important as those Ten Commandments, maybe even more so. 
So Jesus says, uh, you know, make disciples. And this is another one of the highlight passages. The passage today is another one that I suspect should be highlight, but you may not have noted it in the same way. I'll tell you why it's important in a moment. There are a bunch of things that our church could be doing. There are a bunch of things that you could be doing as a Christian. In fact, I was getting my lunch the other day. I was talking with the man in the kebab shop. And uh, he was sort of saying to me as we're getting to know each other, so, so, so what do you do? What does your church do? And I, I had to pause for a moment. What does my church do? If someone said to you, what does your church do? Or better, what should your church do? What does your church intend to do? As a follower of Jesus, what do you intend to do? I'm here to help you. We prepared an answer earlier. It's an answer that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. And it's actually what our church decided together some years ago. What are we about? What's the thing we do together? The thing we do together, the thing we want to be on about is to build a community of grace. Because we heard Jesus say, love one another. Build a community of grace committed to making disciples of Jesus. That's the what. If you look at some, you look at a factory, you go, what do they do? What do they do? What do we do? We build a community of grace committed to making disciples of Jesus. We didn't make that up. We got that directly from Jesus and discerned under his Holy Spirit that that is what our church is meant to be doing. And that is what we, as members of this church and as members of Christ's kingdom, should be doing. So when the man in the kebab shop says to you, so what do you do at your church? Probably don't trot out. We build a community of grace committed to making disciples of Jesus. But you might say, we want to we be a place where everybody is loved, whether they're lovable or not. And the thing we want to do is help everyone to be a follower of Jesus. That's what we're about. We're about Jesus. Now, one of the things that happens with this idea of disciples, discipleship, making disciples is confusion comes about. Often when we read a passage like uh, Matthew 28 that speaks of, uh, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, we might fall into thinking making disciples is about making converts. Getting people who didn't follow Jesus to either pray a prayer, tick a box, whatever they have to do in, in your mind to become followers of Jesus, make converts. That would be a partial truth. That might be the start of a journey of discipleship, because discipleship is a journey. Sometimes, often in our vernacular, and I, we, we do this sometimes in our church, when we speak of discipleship, we sort of confuse this, this, this somewhat technical Bible word with the language of maturation, of maturing. So what's a discipleship ministry? You immediately think of, oh, that's like life group where we, you know, study the Bible together, where we go deeper is a phrase we like to use. Uh, discipleship is where we work out how to, you know, we're Christian now, how do we get better at it? To put it <laughs> in a silly kind of way. That would also be only a partial truth. Maturing and growing is part of discipleship, but these are only partial truths. They're both truths, but they're part of the great whole. You see, discipleship is everything that we're meant to be doing. Discipleship is the whole of Christian life, 
Discipleship is the whole of Christian ministry. It's all about, let me give you, let me give you your, your, your what, what is discipleship? I, I see it like this. It's going after Jesus. This is Jesus who once said to some people, come follow me, literally come behind me, and I'll make you, to quote him, fishes of men, but what he was saying, come follow me and I'm going to make you like me. The pattern of my life will become the pattern of your life. The beat of my heart will become the beat of your heart. So what is discipleship and what is disciple making? It's worth us knowing if this is the thing that Jesus has said, get on this, and this is the thing that we've committed as a church to be all about. Disciple making is taking the heart of Jesus that is in you, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, reproducing that heart in another. Taking the heart of Jesus that is in you, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, reproducing that heart of Jesus in another. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus has called us to do. And that's what our church has covenanted with one another to do. That's the answer to my friend in the kebab shop. So if I'm saying to you that that is the central reason... That is a central what when someone says, what do you do as a Christian? What do you do as a church? Would you be interested today in finding out something about how to do it? If you're not, then it's going to be a long morning. The passage that I have pulled us back to study this morning is Jesus teaching us the how of the what's. Jesus is a wonderful, wonderful leader who not only gives instructions, but he says things like, I'll be with you as you do it. I've been with you. I've shown you. This is how. Now, some clever people in our church understood what Jesus was talking about, and this is how we understand the how. On the screen, you'll see a slide. This is how our church thinks disciples are made through connecting one another with Christ, through growing one another in Christ, and through sending one another for Christ. Connecting, growing, sending. Before you tune out, before you tune out and think I'm about to give you another one of those, here are the three buzzwords for our church. These are not three buzzwords for our church. In fact, so much so that over the last two years or so, where we had very good, valuable words that were great values and things in some of the the different ministries, we deleted them. And that might have affected your ministry. You might have thought, oh, we worked really hard on those. They're good words. But we didn't want to be a place of just words. We wanted to be a place that reflects Jesus' methodology of how to make disciples. And so we got rid of all the other words. The words that are really important are connecting, growing, and sending. This is the how of the what. More than a slogan, more than just more words. This is the Jesus way. This morning I want to show you why I commend it to you, why it's what our church stands on as the Jesus way of doing the Jesus what. Let's go. Connecting. Look at verse 13 with me. Jesus went up onto a mountain and summoned to himself those he wanted, and they came to him. 
Discipleship happens when we connect with Jesus. See what happens here. There is a call, Jesus summoned. Jesus summoned them to himself. There was a call to see, to meet him. He summoned them to himself, not to a club, not to a place, to himself. See, Jesus, as Mark records in the pages already of this gospel, we're only three chapters in, we've seen Jesus showing himself, announcing, that you might know I have authority to forgive sins, that you might know I am Lord of the Sabbath, that you might know, he's announcing, this is who I am. He's revealing himself and starting to show the work he will do. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice from heaven said, that is my son. Jesus is being revealed in this gospel. He's announced himself. He's shown himself and now he's calling people to himself he calls those he wanted to himself and what happens well if you read verse 13 you'll see that uh, after calling them they came to him now that might seem like uh, oh, okay great he called they came we have some other spaces in mark's biography of jesus and John's biography of Jesus, Matthew and Luke's biography of Jesus, that tells us that to come to Jesus required a change in life direction for some of these people. In fact, for all of these people. Phrases like, and leaving their nets, those are the tools of their business, and their father in the boat, they came and followed him. And getting up from his booth, Levi the tax collector, turned away from a lucrative business and followed him. See, they followed him is not just a, oh, that happened. This is an explanation of what, again, in biblical terms we call repentance. You heard that in the baptism a little bit earlier, but there's more to say about repentance. Sometimes when you hear the word repentance, you think that's about stopping doing naughty things. Repent of doing that. That's a partial truth again. If you study the language of repentance throughout the scriptures, you'll see it's more than just what you stop doing. In fact, it's bigger than what you turn away from. The language of repentance has a larger balance towards what you or who you turn to. Because it's one thing to stop doing that, but now what? Here is an example of wonderful repentance where Jesus called them to himself, and what did they do? Yes, they turned from something else, but they turned to him. They turned to him. The message here in this step of connecting is that the way that people will be connected with Jesus is through the sharing of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news announcement that God has come to us in flesh as Jesus. That this is my son. That this son has the ability to forgive sins. That this son is the Lord. We've learned these things already. And as Matthew will uh, hit his... Matthew. As Mark will hit his crescendo, this gospel says that this son Jesus shows the love of God, that he dies for the sins of the world, rises to new life, that salvation might be received in him. He is the one to look to. 
connection or discipleship that happens when we connect with Jesus happens when we share the gospel. That is the announcement of Jesus, his person and his work. He is God who came to save you because you needed saving. And that gospel calls for repentance. It calls that you look away from whatever you've been trusting and turn and fix your eyes on Jesus and find hope, salvation, a Lord and a Savior in Him and Him alone. This is a significant step of discipleship or getting the heart of Jesus in me and the heart of Jesus in another. It's being connected with Him. Show Him through the gospel. Answer His call for repentance. Redirect. And this is an important point for us to pause because there are some myths at this point that I want to dispel. And as I dispel these myths, you're going to maybe hear some of these words and go, no, but that's a really good thing. And you'd be right. It is a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. I want to dispel this morning the myth of community. You will hear the phrase in churches, it's all about community. No, it's not. It's all about Jesus. It's about turning to him, uniting with him, and being found then in his community. Community is wonderful. Community is what we look forward to in the end time when heaven and earth are brought together. Community is what we have a taste of that end time heavenly picture now in church, gathered around Christ. But it's the gathered around Christ that forms the community. Don't put the cart before the horse. Sometimes we think if we can just have someone to play in the community, to be a part of the us. But no, we need them to be a part of the him. Steve Abbott said to me, and the team I was on, I think it was 10 or 12 years ago, it stuck with me. He said, look, the challenge is, the thing you're saved by is often the thing you're saved to. I don't know if that resonates for anyone here. You remember how you came to meet Jesus and that always, you're like, you've got to preserve that ministry forever. Well, maybe. Sometimes we can be saved to the community of Jesus without ever having met Jesus. And the danger of having never met Jesus is that fearful day that he might say, friend, I never knew you. The myth of community sometimes leads to another myth that we need to face as a people together, the myth of heart issues. Sometimes we think about our desire to see people know know Jesus or, or whatever it is we want. We say, well, don't talk about the tricky stuff in church. Don't talk about money. Everybody thinks the church just wants your money. And we know that that's not true. It wasn't your money in the first place. It's God's. And Jesus doesn't just want his money. He wants his time, talent, and treasure that you are custodian of. He wants it devoted to him. So it's not just the church wants your money. Jesus wants to be Lord of your whole life. This is the call. This is the showing of Jesus that requires the repentance from me and you that turns to him and says, yes, Lord, I surrender it all to you for you're not a hard taskmaster. You want to actually set me free. Don't talk about sexual ethics. No, Jesus is Lord over your body. Jesus made your body. Jesus makes relationships. He has a design. 
We must show him in his fullness. That the full picture of Jesus is there for us to repent to and be saved. The myth of service. Of course Jesus said love one another. Just be kind to people. Look after people. Actions speak louder than words, you know. Actions do speak louder than words, but they don't speak with the same precision and clarity of words. Jesus did many good things, but he spoke a word. His followers spoke a word, a word they got killed for. If we would connect one another with Christ, we must announce the gospel of Jesus. And not a gospel that everyone else will say amen to, a gospel that Jesus will say amen to. Yes, that's true of me. Yes, that's true of my Lordship. Yes, that's where I want everyone to look. Yes, in there, there is freedom. Discipleship happens when we connect with Jesus and we do that through announcing the gospel to one another. But Jesus didn't just announce. No, the next step is connecting and growing as well. Look at verse 14 with me. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. That's interesting. Discipleship, see, discipleship happens when we grow with Jesus together. Now, Jesus has picked out 12. You realize there were more than 12 disciples. There are other places where we hear of 70, you know, maybe 5,000. There's lots of people following Jesus. But Jesus picked out 12. Why do you reckon Jesus picked out 12? Now, the theologians among you might be saying, well, you see, there were 12 tribes of Israel. And God had a covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel. And so as this new covenant, this new arrangement comes along, Jesus was the whole fulfillment thing, so the 12 and the whole thing, and in Revelation you'll see 24 and all these things. You're theologically sound, you're right, you're correct, but let's do some studying of the text before us. What does it say? He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. That means sent ones. These were disciples with a particular, particular role. Why? The good news is it says why right here. So that, so that they might be with him. Why 12? Because it's real hard to get close to 12,000. Jesus picked 12, yes, because of the 12 tribes of Israel, all those things. But right here, Mark wants us to know, he picked 12 so that he might be with them. And they might be with him and therefore with one another. You see, when it comes to growing and discipleship, proximity matters. Proximity makes a big difference. And this, probably the starkest lesson I ever learned about this happened nine years ago. I was in Israel. When I was in Israel, I went to Capernaum where Simon Peter lived. And, uh, you know, there are some sites in Israel where you go, come on, is that really the rock Jesus broke bread on or whatever, and it just might be there to sell you some religious trinket. And there are some spaces that archaeologists are very convinced this is legit. And one of those legit places is the house that Simon Peter lived in with his mother-in-law. Well, I went there. The house itself is about the size of the parenting room at the back of the auditorium, not very big. Over the top of it is built an auditorium like this one. And the auditorium is kind of like a whale watching boat because it's got this big like, glass 
floor in the middle. So when you go in there, you walk into the into this uh, modern church, and you look down through the the glass floor. <clears throat> Instead of seeing whales, you see the inside of this house. It's uh, an octagon in shape because that's how ancient churches were. This house had evolved from a domestic place to one of the first churches. They used to build them in octagon shape. Um, it was the custom of the time. They called it the Marturion. Greek, this means witness. And the eight sides witnessed to the seven days of creation and the eighth resurrection Sunday, the day of the Lord. And so you look down into this uh, octagon, and, and this is something that's happened throughout history. More recent churches have built cruciform like a cross, if you look from the sky, but they did octagons. So here am I, standing in this room, looking down through the floor in this octagon-shaped room, about the size of one of our parenting rooms up the back. If you need to check one later, check it out. They're a wonderful blessing to have. And I had to examine my faith for a moment and think, in my mind, I'm there right now. Are you telling me uh, hands that flung stars into space, took on human flesh, stood in this room? Ate food in this room? Maybe slept in this room? Did life grip in this room? That was wild. <laughs> that was an amazing moment of things I'd always read about got real. It's like Jesus, God the Son, stood in this room. Why am I telling you this? Because Jesus called 12 to be with him. They'd be close to him in the room. There was no other choice. They'd also be close to one another in the room. For Jesus, discipleship is about connecting and it's about growing. And the growing space happens in close proximity. It was near him and near each other. I was on the phone with one of my mentors the other day and he reminded me, Shane, the best discipleship always happens three feet apart. We are close and personal. You know, there's no space like we have now where something's just. I don't even know what Sean was talking about then. If we were sitting three feet apart, three feet apart, you might go, "Hang on a minute, how? What? It's different." Proximity matters. My mentor was right. Jesus modelled it. That significant things change when you get up close. If you would grow as a disciple. If you would be effective as a disciple maker, that means you've got to get close to Jesus and get close to one another. Um, one of the things that means is you have to be careful of some of the blessings we have that are supplements and not the meal. Uh, sometimes maybe you're like, yeah, my life group, we're reading this really good book together. That's okay. That can be really helpful. Be careful about reading someone else talking about God's Word as a supplement to getting yourself in God's Word itself. And I know sometimes it's great to have an author who makes it all clear, but you've got to learn to hear your Father's voice. You've got to get close. You've got to let Him be the one who's speaking into you. You've got to wrestle with His Word. It's kind of the difference between real food and processed food. You've got to get close to Him. And brothers and sisters, you've got to get close to one another. Just like in that room, close to Jesus, close to one another, this is where Jesus does enable disciple-making work. Uh, for all of you watching online at home, God bless you, and I'm so glad that you could tune in. There comes a day you need to get close. Either in this room or the church that's closer to you, you need to get close. Let me put it this way. 
You know, when they advertise vitamins, what do they say to us about vitamin tablets? Vitamins may be helpful if your dietary intake is inadequate. They're supplements. And so if we're blessing someone at home with, with, with a live stream, then that, that's great. If you're being blessed by some kind of book you've read, then that's great. But remember, these are supplements. You have to go beyond the tablet and eat the real food. You've got to get close. You've got to get messy. You've got to hear your father's voice. And why be in physical church? Why be in physical life group? I'll tell you why. Uh, someone will want to say, oh, because it's like Hebrews says, we spur one another on to love and good deeds. Yes, we do. You know what else happens when we get close to one another? What do you think happens when you gather a bunch of imperfect people together? There's encouragement and there's problems. And if you don't believe me, keep reading Mark's gospel and see the 12 that Jesus gathered together and watch them fight. The disciples were arguing amongst themselves. The disciples saw another group and went, hey, they're not with us. If God is to cultivate in me the gracious, patient, loving heart of Jesus, then he's got to frustrate me with you. And if God's going, to fr- God's going to grow the gracious, patient, and loving heart of a builder, gracious community in you, then he's going to frustrate you with me because you're not perfect and neither am I. And one of the blessings God gives us is the up-close imperfection of one another and the strength of his spirit that teaches us to have a Christ-like heart that deals with it, that forgives that is willing to receive forgiveness, that is willing to change, that is willing to be patient. you got to get close. That's why you need to be here, or that's why you need to be in the church near you if possible. If you're here, that's why life group is where you need to be. you got to be in that 12. you got to be a coffee table apart. Things change a coffee table apart. They just do. Hear these words. If you don't believe me, here's an early adopter of Jesus' way. His name was Paul. He was a later apostle. He wrote to the the Thessalonians, the church at Thessalonica. Here's his model of ministry. You'll see the Jesus pattern in Paul. Listen. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Sounds like that calling thing. Uh, Because our gospel where Jesus is announced, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you, close for your sake. You became imitators of us. See, we were trying to reproduce the heart of Christ in us, in you, and you became imitators of us as we were imitating him and of the Lord. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model, disciple makers yourself, to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. Paul got it, and he got it real quick. That Jesus is about connecting, he's about growing, because discipleship happens up close. Discipleship happens when we grow together with Jesus in that proximity. Let me ask you a question. Would you like to be in life group with Jesus in Capernaum at Peter's house? Imagine it. When the debate happens over the passage, you could legit just look at your life group leader and go, what's the answer? And he's always right. 
you know, someone doesn't bring supper that night. Jesus like, watch this trick. I've got this thing I do with water and this thing I do with bread. You're going to love it. Supper's looked after. Like, best life group you could ever be in. I'm sure it is. I would love to be there. I'm sure you would too. I'm sure they loved it as well. But here's the thing. Jesus' plan was not to stay at Peter's house doing Bible study. He connected, with, he connected them to himself. He grew them by bringing them close to one another and close to him. And the final bit is he sent them. Verse 14 to 15. It says, and that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now you're freaked out because I said demons. The Bible acknowledges that there's a realm that has some, some boogie-woogies in it. I don't know a heap about it, but it's true. It's real. Discipleship happens when we're sent for Jesus. Sense. We go for Jesus. Where he is known and where he's not known. And this is a great example of where Jesus sent. He sends him out to preach. Now, some of the places they're going to go and preach might be much like here where, you know, there's people who know about Jesus. Great. People who are walking with Jesus, being encouraged. People who are, are thinking about Jesus and might just need a tweak in who they think Jesus is. They're going to preach there as well. But the whole spectrum is covered because there's other places where they're going to preach where Jesus is not yet known. The passage we're not looking at today but we're going to speaks about two places you can be in life this might be a little bit confronting but the demon language here is a strong representation of it this does not always have to mean your head spins around and your eyes glow red okay it's safe come with me jesus describes a state of humanity over the page that Look, some of us are held by a strong man. In other parts of the gospel, he says some of us are in darkness. He's not saying you suck. He's not saying you're bad. He's saying you're held and outside of salvation. And what he says in that passage is, though there's a strong man that holds you, there's a stronger man who comes, binds the strong man, and steals his stuff. Jesus is again talking about his mission. He says, look, outside of God's salvation, you're actually held by the demonic realm. Doesn't mean your head spins around, your eyes glow red, or you never do anything good, or that you're not nice. But you're not held by God yet. Jesus says, what I do is I'm a stronger guy. I beat up that guy because Jesus is tough. He beats up that guy, he conquers death, he conquers sin, he conquers the devil, and he says, now I take you and put you in God's house. I possess you now. He sends his disciples that they might preach where he is known and where he is not known. Why? Because they are to all people going to announce, declare Christ's dominion over all things. Be they demonic realm, be they his church. Christ is king over everything, is their announcement. That's what they're preaching. This is the gospel again. And they've gone to do it, and they're claiming Christ's dominion. Why would you do that? Well, because God called, Jesus called for love, and so they're going to go and share light where there might be darkness. They're going, and in their conversations as disciples and disciple makers, just maybe they'll gain a perspective of how to love the world that you won't get sitting at Simon Peter's house in Bible study. You're going to have to go and talk and have questions asked and go, well, what? 
does Jesus' love look like to a world that doesn't know him yet? They're going to grow in perspective. And the bit I love about being sent for Jesus is it's kind of like resistance training. I love resistance training. You know, you lift weights and your muscles go, I'm struggling with this. But do you know what happens? Resistance training causes muscles to become stronger. When you commend your faith, even if it's just feebly with a little comment or a question of, oh, I'm not sure I see it like that, or uh, you know, whatever it is, faith tends to get stronger. It's like resistance training. You sit in a room by yourself with everyone who agrees with you. I can't promise that your faith is going to get stronger. Discipleship happens when we're sent for Jesus. Gee, I could talk to you about this till lunchtime, but I won't. I want you to understand, though, that though we've talked about connecting, growing, and sending, this is not just a linear progression. It's not like, oh, I did this, then I do this, then I do this. This goes around in a cycle. And perhaps one of the beautiful spaces I see this happen in our church, uh, where we are taking the heart that Jesus has cultivated in me and under the Holy Spirit wanting to cultivate that in another, is in SRE, Primary Scripture Teaching. Now, there's some things you need to understand about Primary Scripture Teaching. It's not a right. It's a privilege. The other thing you should understand about Primary Scripture Teaching is our commitments to the governing authorities is we... Scripture teachers don't go into schools to proselytize or evangelize all the kids. That's not what's happening. Let me explain the beautiful thing that does happen. We send. Teachers from our church and other churches are sent for Jesus. And they go for Jesus to be near children who come from households that say they're Christian. And they sit with them and they gather the kids with them. And they gather with Jesus and they strengthen them in their faith. They are sent and there's this wonderful stage of growing together that happens. And then the sending thing happens again. The scripture lesson ends and children of faith, strengthen their faith, are sent into their own mission field, their playground, where they, under the Holy Spirit, just might connect their peers, their friends with the Jesus they know as they announce the gospel that they have learned. And it goes round and around and around as we grow stronger as disciples and disciple makers when we follow Jesus' pattern of connecting, growing, sending. And it goes round and around, not in a straight line. Jesus has called us to be disciple makers. And what I love about my Lord is he shows us how. And as those who connect one another with Jesus who grow one another with Jesus and are sent for, Je- for one another for Jesus. We continue to see the heart that he has cultivated in us reproduced in others for his glory and for the salvation of the earth. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that his command is not a burden, but his command is a rescue mission. His command brings freedom and liberation to all people. Father God, we pray and thank you that Jesus made that promise that he's with us to the end of the age. And so we thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in and among us, helping us to reproduce, well, helping us to have the heart of Jesus formed in us and to reproduce that in others as well. Lord God, we ask 
May we be a people always faithful to your gospel. No shortcuts, no fiction, true Jesus. May we announce the gospel of Jesus that all may be connected with him and not our version of him. Father God, we pray that we might be close to him and close with one another, experiencing his grace, administering his grace to one another when we let one another down, encouraging and building one another up as he has built us up. And Father God, we pray that there might be no atrophy in our faith muscles, but instead we might be sent for Jesus to announce good news, love, hope and liberation and to have our own faith strengthened and built up for his glory and for our salvation, we pray.